right. Well, welcome today. Welcome to those of you here at Thornton Campus. Welcome to those of you who are watching online or listening to the podcast or those of you who are at Fort Lupton campus. If we have not met, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we are in our third week of our fourth season going through the book of Luke. The book of Luke is one of the four gospels, one of the biographical accounts that we have of Jesus's life. And we decided a couple of years ago that, man, we want to take a slow walk through the, the, the book of Luke in order to, to gain some understanding of who Jesus is. You know, most everyone on earth knows uh, a little bit about Jesus, but we want to stop and, and really look at who he is so that we can find out if he's worth following or not. And when I say that we want to get to know who Jesus is, I don't mean just generally, uh, which is important. I also don't mean specifically, which is also important, but I, what I mean by we want to know Jesus is that we want to experience him. A few weeks ago, Renee and I, my wife, we had the same day off and we went out on a lunch date uh, to one of our favorite barbecue places. And afterwards, we were heading back home and uh, we were going to stop and get some ice cream from Cold Stone to share. And, uh, and so we stop and, and, uh, and I just, she was just going to run in and, and get something. She's like, what do you want? I said, I don't care. Just whatever you get, I'll like it. Right. Uh, and I know that about her as well. Like, we, we like ice cream, like who doesn't, right? So she, she goes into the store, she comes out a few minutes later, she hops in the truck and I say, all right, let me guess what you got. Did you get uh, caramel ice cream? She said, nope. I'm like, oh, did you get coffee ice cream? And she said, nope. I go, okay, I give up. What did you get? She goes, I got salted caramel latte ice cream. <laughs> now I still count that as a win, which by the way, salted caramel ice cream, sa salted caramel latte ice cream with cookie dough, Oreos and chocolate chips is one of my new favorites. You should definitely go try that. All right. Like who's, who wouldn't like that? So here's the thing. Not only do I know generally that Renee likes ice cream, I also know specifically kind of what she likes, right? Because again, I, I pretty much guessed what, what she got. But not only do I know her generally and specifically, but I also got to experience that with her, right? On the way home, as we're driving, we got to both share this cup of ice cream, and it was really good. And so, so here, that's what I mean, is when we talk about knowing Jesus, we don't want to just know him generally. We don't want to just know him specifically. We don't want to just learn more facts about him as a historical figure, but we want to experience him. And the reason we get to do that is not only because he lived 2,000 years ago, and died, but that he resurrected and that he lives today and that you and I get to, if we choose to, experience him today. And that's our goal. That's our goal going through this book of Luke in this fourth season. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12. If you would like to follow along, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. And so far in this season, over these last couple of weeks, uh, Jesus just did what was called the transfiguration, which is where he was up on the mountain and he got to, he, he showed us a little bit of what it means that he is God. We got a glimpse into his deity. And it says, after this event, that he set his face toward 
Jerusalem. And what this means is that he knows what's coming, that in about a year he was going to be arrested, he was going to be beaten, and he was going to be crucified and killed for the sins of the world. He set his face toward Jerusalem. So between that time and the time he was killed, he goes to Jerusalem and he starts teaching. And, he, and he's teaching heavy, heavy things life-changing things. He's taking paradigms and, and shifting them upside down on their heads. And people are, are in amazement, so much so that thousands upon thousands of people come and gather in to hear him speak. And this uh, parable that we're going to look at in Luke 12 is no different. In fact, at the beginning of Luke 12, it says thousands upon thousands of people were, were cramming in around Jesus. Some were even getting trampled. There were so many people. So here Jesus is sharing all these deep things, and this one brave guy in the crowd, in, th- in a crowd of thousands, speaks out in verse 13. It says this. Let me find it. All right. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. All right, now, I'm going to stop right here for a moment, and I just got to say, all right, this guy who was brave enough to speak out in front of this crowd of thousands thousands of, of people about something that Jesus wasn't even talking about, all right? Now, parents, you know what this is like, right? You're, you're, you're talking to your kids about something heavy or you're trying to communicate some important thing to them and all of a sudden it's like squirrel, you know, and it's like, come on, man, like, listen to me. Look at, look right here, you know. Like, Jesus is, is, is laying out these heavy things and this guy's like, hey, would you make my brother give me what is mine? And Jesus says, well, who made me that role? Who put me in that role? And he gives us this, this, this warning. He says, be on guard against all covetousness. Now, this word covet is, is kind of a weird word. We're going to look at it a lot today. But, but a simple definition of to covet is excessive desire for something that isn't yours. It's excessive desire for something that you don't have in your possession. And then Jesus uses this opportunity and this guy who saw a squirrel run by to, to teach a parable to everybody that was there. In verse 16, it says this. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, Jesus tells this parable. He says, be on guard against coveting. And then he tells this parable about this man who has all this grain, and he tears down his barns to build bigger ones. Now, some of you might be going, wait a second, I thought coveting was wanting something that wasn't yours. This, this man's grain was his. 
What's wrong? What's the big deal if he, have, he, have, if he has extra that he just wants to hold on to it and keep it? Well, here's the problem with that is that culturally and even in Levitical law, there's this idea that you don't harvest the edges of your field or the corners of your field that the edges and the corners were reserved for those in your community that didn't have food, that didn't have enough, that they could go to your field and pick grain off the edges and the corners. And so this man, he has a, a huge, huge harvest, and he's like, wow, I don't have anywhere to store it. I, I got an idea. I'll just tear down all these things, build new barns, and store all my grain, and then I'll have no more worries in life. If I can just reach this goal, life will be good. I'll have no other things to worry about. The rest of my life, I'll just sit around and eat and drink and, and be merry, and life will be good. Now, there is a lot going on in this parable, a lot of stuff going on in this parable, but we're going to look at two things for the rest of our time together, two quick things that we're going to look at. The first one is this, is that desires are a big deal, and the second one is who God is, is a big deal. Desires are a big deal, and who God is, is a big deal. So let's look at that first one. What does it mean? Why are desires such a big deal? Now, when Jesus tells these people, hey, be on guard against coveting, this is nothing new to them. They knew this. Where did they know this from? From the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Right? Number 10 in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment because this is, if we're honest, this is just weird. Right? If you're going through the Ten Commandments, and you start off with like, don't have any other gods before me. Okay, I got that. And don't steal. Okay, I got that. Don't, don't commit adultery. Got that. Don't murder other humans. Got that. Okay, like we see all these things. And then you get to number 10 and it's like, don't want your neighbor's donkey. What? What in the world does that even mean? Why is that a Ten Commandment? Not to, not, not to want your neighbor's things, right? Desires are here. I'm not hurting anybody. What I want is in here. Nobody even has to know what I want. I could just keep it secret my whole life if I wanted to. Why are my desires such a big deal? And here's why. Because your desires show you what you value. Your desires point to your treasure. You see, it's not bad to desire. The Buddhists will tell you that desire is bad. Why? Because desire will always leave you wanting. So desire is suffering. So, so to, to, to gain enlightenment, you just eliminate all desire from your life. Now, that's not what Christians say. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, we are wired to desire things. We are wired to, to want things. And, and because our desires reveal what we truly value, there's, they're important. You see, here's the thing, is that there's good things to desire, right? Lots of healthy things to desire. Every single one of us, we desire to be known. We desire to be loved. We desire to be connected to people. We desire to have our needs met. We desire for those who are in our families and in our friends to, to live happy and healthy lives, 
We desire to have jobs that are steady. We desire to have a, a roof over our head. We desire to have enough food. Like there's good desires in our lives that we should be pursuing. But coveting is different. Coveting is more than just desire. Remember, coveting is excessive desire for something that isn't yours. There's this shift that takes place, one of the many shifts that takes place from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And what I mean is this, is that in the Old Testament, we, we read these laws like don't commit adultery and don't murder and, and, and don't steal, right? And in the New Testament, Jesus says, yeah, don't do those things, but I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. In fact, if you have lust in your heart, it's as if you've committed what? Adultery. If you have hate in your heart, it's as if you've committed what? Murder. So logically, as you think through this, you think, okay, I get those connections. So when it comes to coveting, if I have coveting in my heart, it's as if I've committed what? We would think theft, right? But look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He says this, put to death, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetous, covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. Worshiping idols. When I have excessive desire for something bubbling up in my heart, it's not that I've committed theft, it's that I've committed idolatry. I'm worshiping something else. You see, here's the difference between healthy desire and coveting. It's when that desire is no longer right-sized and it elevates to an unhealthy position in our lives and it becomes something that we worship. It becomes an idol. I mean, think about it. What are those things that you think about all the time? What are those things that you dream about? What are those things that you're striving for all of the time? They, they begin to consume you. Again, good things. But when we covet them, when we covet someone else's great marriage, when we covet someone else's health, when we covet how other people's kids are doing in life, when we covet a good job, when we covet uh, uh, whatever that need is in our lives, here's the deal, good things. But when they become in the place of God, they're terrible things. Good things are terrible gods. Why in the world would we worship them? Why in the world would we elevate these good things to places of worship in our hearts? And here's the thing is that we see the first commandment, don't have any other gods before me, in full circle with the 10th commandment, don't want your neighbor's donkey. Because when you do, you're putting other gods before him. You see, the covetous heart will never be satisfied. It will always leave you wanting. Why? Because idols don't respond. They don't. They demand everything, but they never respond. They overpromise and they underdeliver every time. And just like in this parable, barns that worked for this man for years upon years suddenly weren't sufficient enough. They didn't satisfy him any longer. Now this, I have to admit that this parable specifically hits close to home for me. 
When Renee and I were first married, we lived, we bought a condo in Lakewood, and we had this little bitty condo, and we had one reserved parking spot that wasn't covered, and that was it. And the way that they built our condo complex, there, there, there was not enough parking for anybody. And so I ended up, ended up parking out on the street every night, and about 100 yards away, you know, because I'm the good husband, I'll let my wife have the nice parking spot close by, and, and I'll go, you know, walk, take a hike out to my truck and, and go to work and all that sort of stuff. And, and we lived there for five years, and it was fine. It worked out well. But then we started thinking about moving uh, up this way, and we thought, um, man, wouldn't it be nice if we had a house with a garage? Wouldn't it be nice? Uh, because, like, we could park our car inside, <laughs> That's just amazing. And you don't have to clean off the snow anymore. And, and so sure enough, we didn't only get one car garage. We bought a house with a two-car garage, right? And, and here we are moving into this two-car garage. And we were very disciplined from the beginning that we would always want to be able to use it. We didn't want it to become another storage unit. And so we've always been really good about using it for cars or for motorcycles or for whatever other toys we wanted to put in there. But lately, I've been noticing houses with three-car garages. And now it's a bit of a joke for Renee and I because we'll be driving through the neighborhood and I'll kind of elbow her and I'll, see, I'll say, look, that one's for sale. That one's got a three-car garage. Think of all the things we could put in there. We could put bikes and all, you know, all this other stuff. And here's the thing is that the idolatrous heart, those things that we chase, they'll never be sufficient. They're always going to demand more. And, and you probably, some of us are, are there right now. And maybe you've spent a lot of time and energy pursuing something that at one time maybe was a healthy, good desire for your life and for your family. But it's elevated to a point of worship. And now you're left striving. So what? What do we do? Jesus offers us this idea to be rich toward God. But before we get there and explain what that means, I just want to ask you the question, what is it that you want? What do you want? In fact, some, for some of us, that might be a really healthy exercise and application to, to go home and, and take the next five days and 10 minutes a day, wake up early and take a piece of paper and a pencil and just start listing out all the things you want. Don't filter, no, 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 no trying to, you know, candy coat it or whatever. Just what is there in your heart? Are there any covetous desires? Are there anything, is there anything in your heart that's risen to an unhealthy level of desire and worship? Just write out, what, what is it that you want? Just take an audit of your heart. So what does Jesus mean when he says, instead be rich toward God? He goes on after that, and he, he gives one of his famous uh, teachings about how look at the birds of the air and the grass of the field. Like, they don't worry about things. They're not anxious about anything. Just trust in God. And he says in verse 32, he says this, Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, to be rich toward God means that we treasure him above all else. 
that we treasure him above all else, and that we also treasure what he treasures. And what Jesus is saying here is if you want to be rich toward God, be generous with what you have, with your time, with your money, with your energy, with with your resources. Be generous with it. Spend it. Love those who are far away. Treasure those who God treasures. Give, love, share, invest in those around you. Eternal things, things that rust and moths do not destroy. Now, let me just ask you this. What if we strategized to be rich toward God the same way this man was strategizing how to store his grain? And we can look at this man in the parable and be like, man, what a rich fool. But I mean, if we're honest, we, we do the same things, right? I mean, we love to strategize about how to get ahead and where to put investments and how to use our money, which are all wise and good things. What if, though, what if we strategize the same way about being rich toward God? What if we woke up in the morning and said, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to organize my day so that I can go out of my way to encourage 10 people today? What if I spent one card a week and mailed it to somebody encouraging them? How many people? I could encourage 50 people in a year. What if I gave a little bit of extra money to this organization that's feeding homeless people? How many families could I feed? What if we strategized what it looked like to be rich toward God, to treasure what he treasures? You see, this is why what we desire is a big deal. Secondly, And lastly, who God is, is a big deal. I love Jesus' answer to this man in the crowd that says, hey, tell my brother to give me my part of the inheritance. And and Jesus' response is, well, who made me judge? Who made me judge an arbitrator over this situation? Now, if you're not sure what those are, back then a judge and an arbitrator would would go into a town or or they were in a town and people would bring their, their qualms to them about some sort of situation, some sort of disagreement. The judge would make the verdict, here's what's going to happen. The arbitrator would be the one that would make sure that what the judge said is carried out. Whether someone owed someone money or someone had to give their donkey away or whatever that was, judge and arbitrator, they work together. It's kind of like hockey. In fact, if you're an avalanche fan, go avalanche round two. Here we come round three, right? Wow, no avalanche fans in here. Okay, all right. Go Avs. Okay. Game four is tonight, by the way, in case, in case you're sleeping. Um, so you have the referees out on the ice. They make the judgment call. And then you have the penalty box official. So when so-and-so goes to the penalty box, the penalty box official makes sure that the sentence is carried out. They make sure that the time is served, and they'll be the ones that actually open the door when the player goes out back onto the ice. And so this is what Jesus is saying is like, who made me the referee? This, it's not what I do. I'm a lot of things, and I have a lot of titles, but, but this isn't one of them. And it makes me wonder, I often wonder what God thinks of how we treat him. And I wonder if God ever responds to our requests or our demands and says, but who made me fill in the blank? Who made me that angry parent? Who made me that genie in a bottle that if you say the right words, that I'll give you your wishes? Who made me your insurance agent that you just call on me when something breaks? Who made me your rich uncle that you're just hoping you get a check from now and then? You see, when we covet, 
It's not only idol worship, but it is an accusation against God. Do you see it? When my heart is coveting things that I don't have, it's always, always, always uh, connected to an accusation or against or a misunderstanding of who God is. Because when we covet, deep down inside, we say, man, God must not be good because he hasn't given me this thing. God must have forgotten because this isn't how our health is supposed to be working out right now. God must be distant because, man, I'm watching my kids and and life's not going well for them. and, And so he must not be here or he must not care. You see, when we covet things, it's an accusation against God himself. And he says in response, instead, he says, let me show you who I really am. Let me show you who I really am. I'm the kind of father that wants to give you the kingdom. Would you treasure me? Instead of all these other things you're chasing in life, exhausting all of your energy, would you treasure me? Would you take your desires and your affections and would you start to turn them toward me? Because when you do, I will never, ever let you down. I will never leave you wanting like your idols do. I will never leave you striving and unsatisfied like your idols do. Instead, treasure me. Just come to me. What is it that you want? And and come to me and watch how I fulfill everything that you need. You see, it's a good thing that he's not a referee or an arbitrator. Because if he was, he would give us what is fair. If he was referee and arbitrator, he would look at the situation and he would give us what we deserve. And I am very, very glad that he does not do that. Why? Because he's not an arbitrator. He is a savior. And he is just. And it's in his justice that he died in your place. And he took the death and the punishment that you and I both deserve. And as a result of his sacrifice, as a result of his death, he offers to you the kingdom. He offers to you new life. He offers to you everything that you could ever want at his right hand. If you're here today, if you're listening, and this whole idea of following Jesus is new to you, and you're not quite sure what that means, and maybe you're interested, we want to connect with you. We want to answer questions. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you about what that looks like. And we've made that really easy. You just text the name Jesus to the number on your screen and someone will get back with you quickly. And this is also why we celebrate and remember communion every weekend here at Crossroads. Because it's not about God just giving us what we want or giving us what we deserve, but it's about God, the self-sacrificing, just, and merciful Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. Father, we thank you, God, that you are good, that you are trustworthy. And Father, we confess to you today that our hearts are naturally covetous. God, we, we, we turn to things that we want. We see things and we long for them. Good things, Father, but we allow them to become idols of worship. So God, would you just 
brighten up our hearts and would you just illuminate things in our lives that, that are actually covetous desires, God, that you want to that you want to, as your word says, put to death. And instead, Father, may we take those same desires, those same longings, and direct them toward you, that we would treasure you, that we would be rich toward God. We thank you for it. And it's in your good and powerful and resurrected name. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he took the bread and the cup and he said, whenever you eat of this bread, remember my body broken for you. And whenever you drink of this cup, remember my blood, the blood of God poured out, the power of God for the forgiveness of all sins and the salvation of all who believe. Let's remember together. Would you stand with me and let's respond to our good God with singing. If you would like prayer today, our prayer team is gonna be in the back corner over here. They would love to take a moment and pray with you. If you're watching online, you can just click the button to pray with someone and someone will pray with you right now. Let's sing.